Yet again, she was scraping their barely-touched plates into the kitchen bin, and the children had melted away to their bedrooms. It's not healthy for them to eat so little. Harriet didn't argue with her, but she could quite understand why her niece and nephew didn't want to eat. If they felt anything like she did, they'd be scared nothing would stay down. Harriet doubted there was anyone less suited or more ill-equipped to take care of her sister's children, but she'd love Felicity and a promise was a promise. Even if that promise had been made in the sure knowledge that she would never have to keep it. After all, sisters didn't die, did they? Especially not when they were only thirty-three. Initially, Carrie and Joel lived with their grandparents while Harriet spent Monday to Friday working in Oxford and the weekends in Cheshire looking after the children so that her parents could have a break. Every Friday night she would battle through the traffic on the M6 up to Cheshire and arrive in King's Melford to find that her mother looked more tired than she had the week before. Five years ago, Eileen had been diagnosed as suffering from M.E. and Harriet knew that as much as Eileen wanted to cope, there was a limit to what she could do. And always in the back of Harriet's mind was the promise she had made to her sister four years before. You have to promise that if anything happens to me, you'll take care of the children. I wouldn't trust anyone but you. Another person might have conveniently forgotten those words, but not Harriet. For a while, she managed to convince herself that the children should move down to Oxford and live with her. But it was out of the question. Her one-bedroom flat was far too small for them all. And even if she found a larger place and paid for childcare, the thought of being solely responsible for Carrie and Joel without her parents on hand, panicked her. The answer, then, was to resign from her job as a computer programmer, sell her flat and return to Cheshire. This she had done, and she'd been living back in Maple Drive, her childhood home, for a fortnight now. It was far from ideal, even nightmarish at times. Just as soon as she'd found a new job and could afford to buy or maybe rent a house near her parents so they could help with the children... She wouldn't feel as if her sacrifice sucked the life out of her. But it was proving harder than she'd imagined. She missed her old life, her job and, of course, her boyfriend, Spencer. Often the only thing that got her out of bed in the morning was the thought that the following day had to be easier. She almost believed it, too. Maple Drive was the archetypal suburban cul-de-sac flanked either side with tidy gardens and rows of fascia-boarded houses. Harriet's parents had bought number 20 in 1969, when they had been expecting Felicity. Harriet had followed on only a year later. The only people who had lived in the neighbourhood as long as the Swifts were Dr Harvey McKendrick and his wife, Frieda, at number 14, and Harriet knew their house as well as her parents. She and her sister and the McKendrick boys, Dominic and Miles had all grown up together. Frieda McKendrick was agoraphobic, but everyone pretended she wasn't. It maddened Harriet that they all carried on as though it was the most natural thing in the world that Frieda was too terrified to set foot outside her own front door. Why doesn't Harvey do something about it? Harriet had often asked her mother. He's a doctor, after all. These things aren't so cut and dried, Eileen would say. Yes, they are she'd argue. If there's something wrong with you, you get it sorted. It's as easy as that. Miles and his father had attended Felicity and Jeff's funeral. 
Frida, not surprisingly, had made her apologies. Dominic, who lived in Cambridge, hadn't even bothered to send flowers or a card. Walking up the drive of number 20, Harriet could hear her father mowing the lawn in the back garden. It was a comforting sound. The sound of a normal family going about its normal everyday business. If only... Bob Swift switched off the mower and carried the grass box down to the compost heap behind the greenhouse. The garden had always been a place of refuge for him. But he knew he could potter about there for the rest of his days and never work through the pain of losing Felicity. For the first ten years of their marriage, he and Eileen had been desperate for a baby, but they'd had to endure a string of heartbreaking miscarriages before Felicity had finally arrived. He could still remember that moment when he'd first cradled her tiny pet.